Mana 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 this is social disgusting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is an actor, writer, stand-up comedian, and podcaster who's appeared on Conan, Jimmy Kimmel, Drunk History, Comedy Bang Bang, Another Period, and Marin, amongst others, and has the great show World Record Podcast in which he explores an existing world record and then sets or breaks a new world record live on the podcast. Please welcome Brandon Walsh. Welcome. Hey. I don't know hey. if we should both be named. I, I think our names are too similar. We should. What naming mechanism should we go just with? Just call then? me the B-Man, I guess. That's okay. That's my alter ego. Okay. We'll go with B-Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. He can call me. Please welcome B-Man. Welcome. B-Man. <laughs> yeah. And the World Record Podcast, which is, uh, that's the latest installment of my trilogy of podcasts. Your description there is as I wrote it, but I don't think we have, we really don't talk about world records too often. <laughs> it was like what you wrote before, I mean, that podcast, like February 28th was when the like the teaser came out, and then it debuted March 3rd, like two weeks before our weird line of demarcation of like, oh, this shit's real with COVID, which is when Tom Hanks got it. And that's when, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, this is a real thing. America's sweetheart Tom Hanks has it. Right. Weren't they going to make a vaccine out of Tom Hanks' blood or something? Yeah, I think it was going to be blood and semen, from what yeah. I understand. Oh, you got to hand it to whoever's running the marketing for COVID is doing a really good job. Whatever PR firm they hire <laughs> to keep the uh, COVID train going. I tell you what, brand awareness is higher than ever. Yeah. Ebola must be so sad right now because nobody's talking about it. Yeah, Ebola. You know, Ebola is like the, um, it's like how, you know, once like COVID started, everybody's like, oh, we're going to do everything on Zoom. But nobody ever heard of Zoom before that. I feel like Ebola is the Skype of viruses, if you know what I mean. Like (laughs) Skype is like, wait, motherfuckers, we've been here for 20 years. Like, why? wait, what's this Zoom shit? We were grandfathered in. How are we? Have we been inexplicably usurped like this? I mean, there's a lot of suspicious and questionable things about the whole COVID pandemic, but I think that Zoom has something to do with it. The Zoom company, because I don't. Had you ever heard of Zoom before last year? No, I'd not. And what I don't, first of all, no, I'd not. Second of all, what I don't understand is. To your point about where Zoom just became the chosen software of all of this. Right. And also, in a world where, like, Zoom hardly, like, nailed it by any stretch during all of this, how is it that there have been no viable competitors at all, either? Skype. I, I mean, Skype's been there. Skype has the... Skype has everything Zoom has to offer. I believe, I mean, maybe Skype, you can't have two dozen people on it at the same time, which... You shouldn't be able to have that on Zoom. Like you have more than three or four people. Maybe you can go up to 10. I play poker every week. There's a group of guys that I've been playing poker with for a while. And when the um, pandemic started, we kept the poker night, the weekly poker night going by um, playing on a site, Poker Stars, it's called. And and then we go on Zoom and there's 10 of, generally around 10 of us, like between eight and 10 of us will be playing every week. And uh, that's manageable. But even... It is still tough to, you know, it's it's tough to, um, more than one person starts talking, then it's, it nullifies everything. And then if you do, if you have more than that, that's just pointless. You shouldn't be able to have that many people. 
yeah, I think at a certain point, there's some kind of like threshold to where. But it, is that what Zoom did? Is that what it is? You can have tw- like 30 people go to a city council meeting and yell about, you know, masks or whatever. Just screaming into the void. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that it's got, you know, more money behind it, more support. But uh, where is that money coming from? Because it is very, it is very suspicious to me that just out of nowhere, this thing became, and it became like, it's just accepted too. Nobody was like, you know, I, how did that even, people were like, oh, do you have Zoom? And you're like, no, what's that? Oh, download it here. And we're going to do the meeting on Zoom or we're going to do this on Zoom. Or I'm zooming in, like it became like the Kleenex or Q-tip of technology, where it's just like that. It's you know, it's like the Google for searching. Right, I'm going to Google this instead of instead of I'm going to Bing it. Bing really failed. Bing all of them, yeah. They even and I try to do the Duck Duck Go thing, you know, because they're supposed to be yeah the least kind of. I mean, any attempt to keep yourself from being monitored 24 hours a day is, is futile. But I still like to pretend that I have some agency over my privacy. So I will go out of my way to, you know, uncheck boxes that, you know, for selling my personal information and, and you know, not allowing permissions for these apps. But I feel like they're all like, oh, yeah, that's cute. This guy tried to not let us have access to his camera and microphone. Isn't that funny? I mean, we're still going to listen. Nobody's going to fucking find out. And if they do, who cares? Who's going to prosecute us? The, our old CEO, who's now in charge of the FCC now? <laughs> the people that take money from our lobbyists? Yeah, I doubt they're going to yeah. think about that. Oh, no, I'm so scared. You didn't allow <laughs> my farting app to have access to your camera and microphone 24 hours a day. You're going to find me one-tenth of what we make in 15 minutes. That's going to really do some damage. Well, and that's, you know, that's to not not to get into like real uh, conspiracies aside from the Zoom, but that's, you know, like everybody putting blind faith into these pharmaceutical companies is is pretty surprising to me as well, where it's just like, oh, these companies that knowingly release medications that know they're like, well, listen, it's going to kill a bunch of people. We'll probably be sued for in the neighborhood of two billion, but we're going to make eight billion. So it's worth it to put out this, you know, this acne drug that causes liver cancer or whatever. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, it's still a net gain for us. Exactly. So. And that's that's really how it's run. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not being a Alex Jones yet, which is how I, this it, podcast is going to wind up. You're gonna have oh, to it's, which is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do think that that is one of those things where it's like, that's just one of those like hard truths. That's like quantifiable that that's what they do. There's nothing conspiratorial about that, I don't think. Well, but 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 then if anybody says like, hey, maybe we should, uh, you know, let's take a beat on these vaccines. And everyone's like, no, fuck you. Pfizer's my God. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's the thing, though. It's like, I mean, look, I've got one of two vaccines at this point. I got it last Thursday, thankfully, because it's as somebody who is immunocompromised and cannot risk this and had to take a lot of precautions and all this because it's like, you know, one and done for me, quite truly. So I've had to do that, but I'm not exactly like there is still because we don't it's like we don't know the long term effects of any of this stuff. Well, exactly. But for the record, that's like my position on any medication is we just know what it can fix or aid. But we don't know the long-term effects of any of this, just like how cigarettes used to be considered healthy for a time. Well, and, and you know, I mean, that's that should be a red flag to uh, people. For and I'm not, you know, this is I'm not trying to turn this into an anti-vax discussion. I just find it interesting how everybody's just kind of like, yeah, throw caution to the wind. Let's all take this and 
you know, I mean, I guarantee you in 10 years when you're watching Maury Povich, which will still be on uh, in 10 years. <laughs> Probably. But when you're watching daytime TV, there's going to be a lot of lawyer commercials saying, did you take the Pfizer vaccine in 2021? Have you had, you know, dead limbs and I, did you go blind or have you lost a loved one? Well, we have a class action lawsuit against Moderna that, you, can, you know, like all these, like whatever, you know, now it's all vaginal mesh and uh, mesothelioma, which I, I don't know what those are, but all the lawyers are in on, on that, whatever they were doing with the vaginal mesh. Vaginal mesh is a violent combination of two words. That is, a, I will not Google that because it won't end well for me. Well, you I know, imagine. if you Google it, it's, I bet the top 10 results are ads from law firms. And I did. Yeah, you don't want to know because I do. I love daytime television and being a, a stand up comedian for the past 15 years or so. I got to, you know, I was in hotel rooms and I could watch Maury Povich and Price is Right, which is just I love that. That's the only reason I think I got into stand up comedy. I just wanted to have a job where I could watch Price is Right. <laughs> Because I equate prices. If you're watching Prices Right, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like you're getting away with something. Like I equate it with that's funny. Yeah, faking sick. Like when I would when I didn't want to go to school and I'd tell my mom I was sick. And you get to stay home and you watch Prices Right, and that's like a sign that you're getting away with something. That is, I cannot relate to that more. A hundred percent. Like I would watch, that was my program at 10 a.m. when I was a kid. Yeah. And I was sick or quote unquote sick. Yeah. And watching that, that was like something about it felt like illicit or wrong. Like I'm not supposed to be here right now watching this, but I'm watching this. And that's what I always watched. Even if you're in a hospital bed watching it, there's still a level of comfort knowing that you're not at work or school. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) yes. I'm in a hospital bed. There's something, something went wrong, but I'm watching Prices Right in an adjustable bed right now. And at this moment, everything's fine. <laughs> but that's the um, daytime talk shows. Yeah, the vaginal mesh. I think I, because that's, you really do see, a, I, I, th- I feel like that's petered off. Now they're, the mesothelioma is still in there. And I don't, I, I think that's a form of cancer caused by asbestos or something. And uh, I, I think I tr- started to like find out like what the hell's vaginal mesh, and I started to look it up and was like, oh, that's that's bad news. Like if you're dealing with vaginal mesh, you had a serious. There's there's something you had a you have problems. Um, I will say, I hearing just the, that combination of words again. I don't know what it is, but I kind of know what it is. That can't be ideal. I kind you kind of picture like a fishing net, like tightly over a vagina. <laughs> or like some kind of a hammock but it's no it's it's a lot of it's a serious i don't even want to think about it anymore because now i feel like some of the knowledge is starting to creep back into my head that i've blocked out that's fair let me unsubtly transition but speaking of prices right you were on team drew carey for family feud yeah did you film that like just before the pandemic because that aired in june of last year did, yeah we filmed it in february of last year wow like February 8th. Yeah, but it was it was before. Yeah, it was like right before everything. I had a real feather in my cap too. I was just thinking about that recently because I watch Family Feud is on here at right around the time when we're putting uh, our kids to bed. Well, the one kid who who isn't a baby. Yeah. So like, yeah, we put Marley to bed around like 6.30. You know, we get the process started around 6.30 or so. But then Amanda finishes it off and I come out and Family Feud is on 
Channel 9 out here. And it's, uh, again, it, it feeds into, like, I love crappy. Well, I don't even want to call it crappy. I don't know. There's just, I have such an affinity for things like Family Feud, Price is Right. I mean, Price is Right is the, that's the crown jewel. I think so. Yeah. But then, you know, there's Maury. You know, I definitely, I go in and out with Maury. Sometimes you got to take a break from Maury because just it's, it's, if you think about it too hard, it's depressing. But uh, but Maury's doing well. I mean, or, or uh, Ellen's doing poorly. He's just beneath Ellen now in the daytime rating. I saw that. That's incredible that. Which is wild. Surprised that he's got so many. I mean, I guess it's not surprising, but I mean, it's really only one and a half million viewers, which is a lot. I mean, that's more than like, I think that's like Jimmy Fallon numbers. But Maury does not work over Zoom. They started doing a, they did some episodes where everybody's on screens and it just does not, it does not work. They're showing reruns now because it just doesn't work. You can't, it's like, it's the Roman Coliseum, you know, like you need the people screaming for blood and booing everyone. And then, and then like. It's an energy thing too, I think. Yeah. An energy, yeah, total energy thing. And also like watching a lady just exit the frame of view on zoom is not the same as a lady running down a bunch of backstage hallways losing her fucking mind (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) you don't you miss the best part on zoom they're just like fuck and like they disappear and you're like well where we need a guy following her while she runs (laughs) like tries to escape like a rat from the studio I think to your point there, like people being at their homes they're too comfortable they're not you know in a foreign place yeah. With a crowd, I mean, wanting blood sometimes, if not always, like very like vicious, high energy, very, uh, yeah. I can't imagine what it is to be in that, that actual like audience. Like, I've, dear I've God. been in it. I, I went oh. to a taping How was of Maury. Me and Doug Stanhope went. Fuck, like a long time ago. I don't know what year it was. How was that experience? 2000, 2000. Shit, I don't know, 2008, maybe 2007. It was, um, I mean, it was cool. I'm glad I got to do it. I don't think they aired the episode. I think Doug and I ruined the episode, which I don't, I'm not (laughs) proud of. We just thought we weren't being like total asshole, but we were like cheering for the people that the rest of the audience was booing. And like a producer asked us to like shut up like three times during the taping. And I don't think I ever saw, I don't think I ever saw, I mean, I, I know I never, I don't, if I did see it, it didn't ring any bells and I didn't see us in the, in the audience because we were like right up front too so we might have might have ruined the taping of Maury but it's it's what you would think you know it's just like there's you know somebody there hyping you up and they give you a little speech you're like okay you want to boo and cheer and you know really get it get into it and we uh but me and Doug were acting like juvenile delinquents well, I also too, I imagine with the, you being so close or very close to the front it was probably really difficult to cut around you yeah, but, I hope we did it. You know, I hope they could. I think, yeah, I hope they could use. I hope we didn't ruin the show. But what are you going to do? That was pre-COVID. It doesn't matter. <laughs> did they film multiple per day? Do you know, or is it just one done? Uh, I think they were doing. I mean, this was. Oh, I don't like. They've moved to Stamford, Connecticut. This is when it. They still shot it in Manhattan. And oh, okay. I think they did two, two a day. I know a guy who worked on Maury like as an intern when he was in college. And he said that it was pretty, Maury cancels shows all the time to go golfing. Like Maury, I think Maury's at a point in his life. I mean, the guy's like 80 years old, probably. And, uh, you know, he's made, he probably makes a fortune 
from that show. He's 82. 82. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. So he's not, you know, if he feels like going golfing, he's going to cancel a tape day. And you know what? I actually tried to be on Maury with an ex-girlfriend that I had. I mean, it was a girl that I, like, we, we casually were dating, like, you know, off and on here and there when I lived in Austin. And then she, you know, we kind of, like, didn't talk for a little bit. And she wound up getting pregnant from, you know, a different guy. And, you know, we, like, reconnected when she was pregnant and tried to get on Maury to do a paternity test because it, there was no, it, like it was impossible that I was the kid's father. So there was no, you know, chance that it was going to backfire. But uh, they, I mean, they wound up canceling it at the last minute. They had flights booked for us. And then we got an email that said like, sorry, we're going to have to change the date. And my friend, Joe Mandy, who's the, he's like a comedy guy. He, yeah. that's the guy who was the, um, who interned for Maury when he was in college. He said that it could have just been Maury wanting to go golfing because it was like the last, I think it was the last day of taping for that season. Oh, okay. But I also felt like, cause I, cause I thought it was probably like, Oh, somebody just Googled me and figured out like, wait a minute, this guy's like some fucking, and this was long enough ago where there was really only like MySpace or, yeah. Facebook, maybe at that time. I, I don't know what year it was, but... Uh, but there wasn't every bit of information that there is out there now, right. then. Right, but there was still Google and there was still MySpace. And, like, there was enough where, you know, anybody worth their salt who's booking guests would at least do a cursory search and they would see, like, that. I mean, it was obvious that I was, you know, a comedian from whatever, you know, social networks I had at the time. So I thought maybe they figured out, because I couldn't give them a fake name because I mm -hmm. was I was too broke. I had to I, I wasn't gonna buy my own six hundred dollar plane ticket and get my own hotel. Like, you know. Yeah. I, I didn't want to um mess with that. So had you done like any prep for that? I mean, because it's like you have the parameters that can fit the show. You can allow you to be on there, but it is like kind of a bit, I guess, in a way. Well they at sent the same us time. we took the DNA test. They sent us to we had to go to a place in Austin and get like our cheeks swabbed. And uh, I think they we talked to a producer. I think we separately, you know, we got our stories straight yeah. and then separately spoke to producers. So, I mean, it was like we went pretty far into the process. Like I said, it was it was literally I think we got a phone call like a few days before we were supposed to get on a plane and fly to New York. So it, close. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one. Yeah. I mean, we were, we're not like I thought we had a good chance because we're not the average you know, we didn't look like everybody else on there. We're not play. It was, I was like, oh, you know what? They'll, they won't even care. Like they just, you know, it'll just be nice to have non-psychos on the show, but maybe that's all they want. Either way, it would have been fun, man. I would have celebrated so hard when he said, I'm not the father. I would have been like, fuck you, bitch. I told you. you it would have just been you jumping up and down with like bleeps galore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, that's got that's a bummer. That was a missed opportunity to to get a free ride out of it and kind of really play it up. It would have been a fun, yeah, it would be a fun piece of tape to have today. But then I probably wouldn't want to watch it because I'd be like, oh my god, I'm so much fucking fatter than <laughs> I was back in 2004 or whenever. <laughs> when I wonder when that was. Now it must have been like 2000. But you said you were doing stand up. You started stand up was it 02 ish? I think. Yeah, 02 ish. That's about right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, mean, I feel like 2004 is when it really kind of. But no, I guess I was. I guess I'm being like dismissive of some years that should count. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it's almost 20 years. Jesus. Are there any other daytime shows that you're like, oh, I would, I would love to be on that, or is it just any of them at this point? Because that'd be that'd be worth it. Uh, well, you know, Family Feud. I think that's how we got on the whole thing. Was I was I'm, yeah. For, I recently thought of like, oh wow, that's. Because again, I can be dismissive of like my accomplishments, and because you, you know, living out here, you're surrounded by, you know, the most successful people in your field if you're in the entertainment. So, just a, an appearance on, on Family Feud, on Celebrity Family Feud as part of Team Drew Carey. I'm like, you know what? That was cool. That's cool that I got to be on that. Because like, I do watch it. You know, I'm like, oh, that's a good. That's pretty awesome. But the other shows, you know, there is a show that I don't, I mean, I, I would be on it. I, I But I mean, yeah, it would be fun to be on it, but I'm just not at a level that they would have me on. There's a show called Funny You Should Ask, and it's a Byron Allen show. Oh, yeah. It's like Hollywood Squares, but they're not in a big structure of a tic-tac-toe. You know, Hollywood Squares, they were in like a tic-tac-toe board, like a three-story tall. I don't know. Have you ever seen Hollywood Squares? Is that before your time? Oh, no, I watched it. I'm 38, so I'm just I'm not that far behind you. So, the, yeah, it's called Funny You Should Ask, and they have a panel of, I think it's this. No, they, I guess Hollywood Squares had nine people. So they have six. I think they have six people. I'm on their website. Yeah, it says, outrageous new game show, but leaves every question always has a funny answer. In each half-hour episode, six superstar comedians try to help two contestants win a big cash prize. Yeah, so it's two people, same as Hollywood, same setup as Hollywood Squares. Two people bet on whether or not the comedian's answers are true or false. So the host of the show, a guy named John Kelly, he'll say like, you know, Forbes magazine says most billionaires use cheap shampoo. Is that true or false? And then it'll go to like Louis Anderson. He'll go, yeah, because they don't have any brains in their heads. And then everyone <laughs>, laughs and he goes, no, actually, that is true. I read the article. <laughs> And then yeah. the person says, oh, yeah, okay, I agree. Or I disagree. Okay. And then they say, okay, $100. And that's the, that's one thing that I love about the show is the prize money is so little. Like generally in the, you know, in the, in the first rounds or whatever, however it's broken up in the first part of the show, it's two people going around doing those questions and answers or true and false questions. And then uh, whoever has the most money at the end of that round goes to the final round, you know, where they do three questions like that with everybody. Yeah. Multiple choice it is. So they'll say like, you know, what are the companies that are making the uh, coronavirus vaccine? And it'll Louis Anderson, Pfizer, <laughs> John Lovitz, uh, Moderna, Billy Gardell, uh, AstraZeneca, and then, uh, you know, Byron Allen, uh, your mom's chicken soup. Or like, then there's always like a joke one in there. Yeah. Like, okay, which one is... Is, uh, I guess that wasn't a good example, but you get the idea. <laughs> well, I was very curious who the fourth was going to be after your, your three impressions. I mean, the questions are so arbitrary and weird. It'll be like, you know, which one of these names is a star in some faraway galaxy? Is it Mondulor, Glarbizar, Flaxulin? Like, I mean, they're all just like by the last question of the final round, it's like, I right, let me just throw a dart at the fucking because nobody knows this fucking answer. 
answer unless you're in that field of whatever. Yeah, like it's a deep cut. Yeah. And the thing is, the grand prize is only $5,000. Like that's if you make it all the so way, funny. you win $5,000, which, hey, five grand, I'll take five grand any day. I mean, after taxes, you're looking at about maybe 2800 bucks, which is still fine. You know, that's that's rent, basically. But uh, for the year 2021, $5,000. And the first round, the person who makes it to the final round, and I've seen this show dozens of times at this point, maybe 20 times, 30 times. And uh, I've only seen maybe three people win the $5,000. <laughs> That's amazing. So the people who make it to the final round have anywhere between, they generally, I'd say average, they have about $900, maybe eleven. Let's say it's a 1100 bucks. So that's all they're giving away. Like if, because you get to keep that three, he's like, okay, you know, Susan, you won, you won the lightning round or whatever it's called when you're against the other person. So that $800 is yours to keep. Now we're going to go to play for $5,000. That's amazing. And it's like, so best case scenario is you're walking home with maybe $3,000 if you win (laughs) $5,800 on paper. But with a game show, like the only stakes of a game show is the prize money. And for that to be that much or or which is to say that little in a world where like, you know, you have game shows that are granted incredibly convoluted and borderline impossible to ever win, but it's like a million dollars. So the idea of a $5,000 prize that is borderline impossible is very funny. But you know what? I love the show and it's it's how it's on. But you know, Byron Allen, and I feel like I've been talking about this on my podcast and other podcasts too much. Like it's like I work for the show. (laughs) But it's like Byron Allen created it and it is like it's very cheap to produce. I know how much the comedians get paid to be on the show, Uh, which is not, you know, it's it's a reasonable. It's kind of like it's. Yeah, it's kind of like a perfect, it's not a lot, but it's a perfect amount to get the people that they get, where they're not going to turn up their nose at that amount. You know, where they're like, okay, it's one day and I get that much. Yeah, I'll do yeah. it. Because they do five episodes in a day. Oh, shit. So, okay. So they do a week right there. They do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how it airs in other places. Here they show two of them back to back on, um, I believe, on Channel 9 again. So it's, yeah, I mean, they get. Yeah, for what it costs them to produce five shows is nothing. And Byron Allen is like the king of that. He's very industrious, right? Well, he started his talk show by buying infomercial time slots. He had a talk show in the 90s, like Johnny Carson. But he did it himself, Byron Allen show. So he had a set and then he would buy the slots on TV stations when it turned into infomercials at like 1 a.m. or whatever. And then he would sell advertising on his show. So he made a lot of money with that model that he and then you know he did the same thing with comics unleashed and i'd say he had a it was a talk show that was based around going on the the press junket like scene and just having them as quote-unquote guests and he's just asking questions like i hear you love ham sandwiches i i think that's that might be before that might be after his original because i remember there was a thing called the byron allen show where he would come out and do a like a monologue and uh i guess there was a student maybe i'm maybe i'm a little confused, but I do know that his business model was buying up this very cheap airtime and then putting his own instead of having like an hour long infomercial you. for the ShamWow. It was just a TV show with commercials within that TV show, which was genius because he probably, you know, he buys this 2 a.m. time slot somewhere for, you know, a few hundred bucks or I don't even know how much and then sells advertising within that, you know, hour. 
time slot. And, and now he owns the Weather Channel. Oh, that's right. He does, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's. I think he's like a billionaire. He's incredibly savvy. Yeah, and he was also, they said, on... Because he's on Funny You Should Ask uh, a lot as one of the celebrities. Which, again, right there, it's like, wow, you just saved yourself. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he was the youngest... I think he's the youngest comedian to ever do the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. I think he's the youngest guy that ever did like a late night set. Yeah, I was looking at his Wikipedia page right here, and it says too that he was invited the fourteen year old comedian to join his uh, the writing staff of Jimmy JJ Walker. Okay, yeah, a lot of people went through that. I think Letterman wrote for him, and a lot of people. That was like, yeah, Jimmy JJ Walker was like really. He was really popular for a while there in the 70s, I guess, because it seemed like a lot of people worked for him in some capacity. Like yeah, all the comedians you, you know, heard of. Seemed like he had a good eye for talent, too, based on that. Just on getting in on the ground floor of a lot of known people. I mean, I think there was just, you know, the talent level was much higher back in the 70s. Like there wasn't every shithead in the world trying to do stand up comedy. There wasn't the inspiration of like the Rogan scene of like, oh, anybody can do it. Not saying that Rogan is not, uh, I don't want to get in on anybody's bad side. I'm just saying that Rogan makes it seem a lot more accessible to people who should not be doing stand-up because it's yeah. like kind of just like, hey, we're just a bunch of guys hanging out. And Joe's a very talented comic, and I'm not saying that he makes it seem easy. I just feel like the whole thing seems more accessible. But it's been more, I think stand-up comedy has been more bastardized by just Hollywood, like where... You know, agents and managers have just told every dipshit actor and actress. I mean, I guess they're not called actresses anymore. Actors, female and male actors that like this is a way to. It's a new revenue stream. Not even a revenue stream. It's just a way to get yourself out there. It's like go put together a 10 minute set and, you know, like really showcase your personality. And, you know, it's not about the stand up. It's basically just kind of like a. You know, an audition so they could send people. They're like, oh, there's this, you know, girl doing stand-up that might be good for your role in your shitty sitcom. Go to her awful comedy show tonight. See if you like the way she looks and talks. Well, I think that's also seems to be a place for some actors. Let's say Jeremy Piven, perhaps. You know, as some kind of a reclamation project. I'm a funny funny guy. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, that's like, that becomes the, uh, actually, Al Madrigal... He said something funny about that, like with the, you know, like Steve-O's and Jeremy Piven's and uh, where he just he basically his what he said. And I'm paraphrasing was like basically what Al's worked his whole life at is a lot of people's like last stop, like where it's (laughs) like, oh, well, there's I guess I can do that because because that's the thing, even with like because I toured with Drew Carey for a few years doing stand up. And a lot of the people were there just for the cell phone picture after the show. And so that's like, you know, like a guy like Steve-O or Tom Green. And and those guys, I think, have established themselves as stand-ups at this point. Like, I think they're fine. But I think when they started doing it, it was kind of just like, we need to make money. And this is a way you can make, you know, fifteen to $20,000 in a weekend. Maybe those numbers are off. But I think that's probably like if you go, you know, if you were Steve-O back fresh off jackass and like needing to make money i think if you did five or six shows at the you know at an improv i think that you would probably sell them all out and you would probably get you know 
a good portion of the game. Yeah, I would imagine too. Yeah, it's some people doing it as much for the story of saying they saw Steve-O and the photo oh, yeah. afterward as it was that. And it seems like they're also just like, some of them are like just monologists telling stories. Yeah. Kind of like, almost like Kevin Smith did early on back with his like Q&As and now. Well, it's at a club. It's, it's under the guise. Like, how else do you, you know, it's not a TED talk. I mean, I always said that like, you know, Judge Judy could sell out the Staples Center. Like, yes, yeah. Maybe not the Staples Center because that's too big. But like, if Judge she Judy, numbers. she could definitely sell out, you know, 500 to 1,000 seat places just so people could be like, I saw that person from television live. Like, I have broken through that invisible barrier between uh, TV personalities and their actual living flesh. <laughs> yeah, it's like, did you hear Judge Judy played the Greek amphitheater? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. I have a picture. It's a cell phone picture of me. I waited in line for an hour and a half after the show and took a cell phone picture and tried. I mean, there were comics who would charge for... Like VIP access or something? Well, even before that was a thing, like there was, I forget who it was. Somebody when I was in Austin, I was like blown away. But it was like, maybe it was Pauly Shore. It was somebody like, they were charged. I don't, I don't know if it was Pauly or not, but it was, they were charging to get a picture taken with them after the show. They were charging uh, like 10 or $20. And I think wow. it was a poll. I think they had their road manager taking the photos with a Polaroid camera. It wasn't with a cell phone. Okay. So and then I guess like, they would sign it too. I don't know. But it was a whole thing where I was like, wow, that's like, they're making fucking, you know, $800 a night on those fucking Polaroids. Maybe even more. It's like pretty smart. A night. Hey, I, I mean, that's what it's all about. I imagine that, you know, things like that and also just merch and things, yeah. that supplemental income is probably what you make your money off of more than the stand-up appearance itself. Oh, know. that's what most, yeah. Most of these comedians on the road are t-shirt salesmen. I mean, the comedy is, uh, you know, that's at a 45 minute long sales pitch to sell their like eat and ain't cheating t shirt or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you're going to have a podcast recording here soon, but what all, if anything, do you want to uh, point people toward before I wrap it up? Well, you know, and this is my fault because I feel like I've done a really good advertisement for daytime television and I we didn't even mention my podcast once, hardly, because <laughs> I keep diverting away from talking about my things that I need to talk about. But uh, the World Record Podcast is my current podcast, which is very funny. It's very silly. It's not your typical comedy podcast in the sense where it's not just three comedians sitting around talking, which I find to be, there are enough people doing that. And if you listen to, you know, I had two podcasts before this. One was called The Bone Zone, which, you know, is probably the funniest podcast ever ever made with exception to the current one but the bone zone was (laughs) great and then that led to the second podcast do you know who jason siegel is that i did with nick thune for i think we made it about 36 episodes the idea was to just do it in every state and the idea was that we would call places and and just ask them if they knew who jason siegel was you got through most states we did. We got through most. And actually, on the World Record podcast, I've had Nick on a couple times to clear out the um, to clear our uh, calendars of the states we didn't do. So I, I feel like between the Do You Know Who Jason Siegel is podcast and the World Record podcast, I feel like we only have like maybe five or six states that we haven't gotten to. I could be uh, I could be wrong. That's pretty good though. They're both. Do you know who Jason Siegel is in the Bone Zone? 
are my previous podcasts, and this one is probably the last one that I'll do. It's the World Record Podcast, and it's, uh, you know, I feel like there you get enough of, if you need to hear interviews and uh, people talk about politics or COVID, you could go get that from other podcasts. And then if you just want to have a good, solid laugh at silly, juvenile humor and phone calls, fake TV shows. You know, we have a show called Urkel's House that we're constantly calling to get <laughs> locations for. I, um, you know, my wife co-hosts it with me on occasion. We just had another baby, so she hasn't been around for a little bit. But, um, you know, there's a lady in there. So if you like to hear girls talk and <laughs> I mean, she's also incredibly funny. Like I'm not. She's like, really funny. It's yeah. a real turn off too. I get it. If, you know, if I saw that somebody's doing a podcast with their wife or girlfriend, I'm like, uh, that's going to be great. But it's, you know, Amanda is really funny. But you know what? I guess Tom Segura and Christine Kaczynski. I, I guess that's a real popular podcast. And they're, they're a married couple. Well, I think your show in its own right is great. Like it's, it's a very, it's like delightfully silly. And it's very different in a great way. Like I highly recommend it to anybody. Thanks. Yeah. Sure. And that's the whole, you know, we're doing video for it. Everybody was telling us early on that everybody does video. I'm like, well, it's really evolved over the course of the <laughs> unforeseen pandemic, you know, having started kind of just before it really kind of reached a fever pitch of people taking it well more seriously than they did before. That but, is incredible that I didn't realize that it's just been about a year. I thought I thought I had started it. I guess I started recording it earlier. Say released March 3rd was the first episode. Interesting. So, yeah, we just hit our one year anniversary and um it is, yeah, the videos are a thing in their own right, too. Like, it's not just, you know, you watch a lot of these videos of podcasts, and it's just the people sitting around a table talking in the microphones. And there's an element of that. But I have a guy named Drew Brown, who's uh, been great. He's like a listener. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do video, I want it to, I want there to be a reason to do video. I don't just want to show my stupid face fucking talking. It's an actual show from the video component. I do feel like, and it's something like maybe cutting down like to 10 minute episode. Like it's something that could be on Adult Swim. I think so, for sure. I mean, it definitely has all the, uh, just as good as any 90s cable access show. It's got that same kind of like, I mean, a lot of work. And I, I think the video production is great. Like, you know, it's all green screen stuff and lots of silly things going on visually. But it's got that like nice balance of like janky and sleek. Like it's <laughs> like a lot of work goes into it and it looks really good, but it also looks. It's got a DIY element to yeah. it at the same time. Yeah. But in a way that I think is very effective and the aesthetic, like I think lends itself to the, the show itself. It's very effective. It's really good. Well, thanks. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. So it's, it's audio and there's video and that's all free on youtube i have a maybe you could put a link to the youtube channel yeah i'll put a link to all of and the sure. audio podcast and then there's patreon if you want to you know everything you know five bucks a month is the patreon and there's extended every episode's like at least 30 minutes longer uh video and audio uh try to do i try to keep up with like extra things like there's a call of the day that i do where it's not you know I don't do it every day, but I'll just, you know, make, I have an app on my phone where I can just kind of like crank call places and I'll record them and throw them up on the Patreon that that's exclusive to there. Amanda was doing her own podcast uh, up until she had the baby. 
that was only available on Patreon. Either way, I mean, I try to make the Patreon worth it. It's like a dollar. If you really think about it, it's a dollar twenty-five a week. So if you like the podcast and want, you know, want another thirty minutes or more each week, excuse me. And at this point, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff on there. Even if we only signed up for a few months and then bailed, you could still download, you know, a hundred hours of shit over the last year, probably. Patreon.com slash world record podcast. But yeah, thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I hope everybody's learned about uh, Byron Allen, Price is <laughs> Right, Maury Povich. Funny you should ask. I got to stop talking about that show. I feel like I've talked about that on every podcast and every opportunity. And you know, I'm friends with Natasha Leggero, who's on Funny You Should Ask a lot. And she thinks I'm fucking with her when I tell Like I'll, anytime I see <laughs> yeah. it. Because, you know, and this is like all these things I don't watch. You know, I do have a family and I have to support people. So I'm not watching daytime TV constantly. But uh, I'll watch I, every time I catch Funny You Should Ask and Natasha's on it. I'll take a picture of the TV and be like, I'm watching my favorite TV show. And she's like, oh, like I really do. think <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to convey to her that I'm not fucking with her <laughs> because yeah. I, th- I really do think it's at the point where she thinks I'm being mean. But I'm like, I love i mean i've told her a million times she's like yeah you've told me but i'm like i don't i still don't feel like you get my true appreciation for this show well something could be said for comfort television and i do find i mean to your point about like being sick when you're a kid and it feeling like i shouldn't be watching this so it makes it even a little bit better like that nostalgia for it goes a long way and daytime television is great for that and here we are again i brought it up again i guess perfect well thank you again for doing this again I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Uh, thank you for listening. Please take care. Please stay safe. Thank you again. Bye.